tweet at TodaySOR. There's still much uncertainty about when the lockdown will lift, but the consensus already is that returning to life as we knew it will not be an option. In the post-COVID-19 world, we will live very differently and we will work very differently. And for many people, the five-day week sitting at a desk in an office surrounded by colleagues will be no more. What will that mean for employers and employees and for cities normally buzzing with work as well? We're going to spend a little time considering that now. I am joined in studio by Orla Hegarty, architect and assistant professor at the School of Architecture, Planning and Environmental Policy at UCD. On the line, we have Maeve McElwee, Director of Employer Relations with IBEC and Sean O'Driscoll joins us. He's a former chair and chief executive of Glen Dimplex and founder of the Ludgate Digital Hub for Remote Workers in Skibbereen in Cork. Good morning to you all. Uh, Maeve McElwee, businesses were very much thrown into the situation they're in now almost overnight. The move to remote working very quickly put in place. What are you hearing from employers about whether having their staff at a distance is proving actually to be maybe more doable than they might have expected? Good morning, Sean. Yes, as you say, uh, so many employers did find themselves engaged in this uh, very rapidly and without necessarily some of the planning that normally would accompany somebody moving into a remote situation. And of course, I suppose this isn't necessarily the situation in which we would see most people move from maybe an office-based environment into working remotely or working flexibly, because there are lots of challenges around people having the adequate space set up, um, lots of people with caring responsibilities at the same time, um, and technology issues. But nevertheless, some really positive feedback coming uh, back from employers and from staff around this. And it's something that we know um, over the last number of years in particular that employers have been moving towards and employees have been seeking, um, looking at things like commuting, infrastructure challenges, childcare costs, but also for others to actually have access on that labour market participation, um, increased remote working and flexibility have been something that we have seen incrementally change. This has just been a big leap. Orla, Orla Hegarty, you're an architect, as I say. The average office that most people have come to know and work in, say, over the last 20 or even 30 years or longer, um, how in, unsuited is it to working after this pandemic? Uh, I think it's going to make people think very hard about this. I was just looking at some very interesting research from South Korea about one building that had about a thousand people in it and when there was an outbreak of of corona it was actually concentrated into one call centre where people were working in very tight desk arrangements and was highly contagious and and more than 40% of the people working on that floor contracted it. So I think it's going to make people think very hard about the proximity of working, shared spaces where people are touching the same surfaces and ventilation. We, We we've got used to a situation I mean people might know about this on airplanes but in office spaces a lot of air is recirculated Um, so you could be transmitting disease across several floors never mind to the people you're working with so uh, a lot of this is going to throw up questions about the amount of space the amount of personal space how much separation how we spread air around a building uh, how many people are using lifts in in apartment buildings Um, you know so there's so many other implications I think when you start to look about controlling disease Yeah, I mean, I think in RT at the moment, there's only about 100 people here at any given time. I mean, the car parks are virtually empty. People are working from from home. Uh, Morning Ireland presenters, all of them working from home. And yet, you know, it's possible to do things, maybe a little more awkwardly, but it's extraordinary what you, you can achieve. 
I think it has shown a lot of people, uh, you know, I suppose sometimes people had difficulty convincing employers. Maybe now they might be more convinced for the flexibility, particularly for people with families. Um, people will be questioning their long commutes. Maybe they don't need to do it five days a week. Maybe they they do it two or mm. three. Uh, and then that will start to ask questions about the amount of, of, of money people are paying for office buildings in the city. If their staff don't all need to be there all the time, are there more efficient ways of designing our housing for home working and designing our cities with less dependency on commuting. Yeah. Um, Sean O'Driscoll, you have a wealth of experience, obviously. You oversaw the running of a big company, Glen Dimplex, for nearly 20 years. You travelled the world for work, not least in China, indeed, where you have lots of activity. Um, what do you anticipate for the world of work when this is over, if it, is, if it ever does become over? Good morning, Sean. Um, well, I, you know, I think for a start, I think it, it, it will be over at some stage, though. We should never underestimate the inventiveness of mankind. And there have been many pandemics which have had a transformative impact on the world. But uh, like many, I think, you know, I'm certainly rethinking and reimagining the life that I want to live in the future. Uh, And I know people are looking at their business models, the existing business models. You know, we also need to look at how we are educating our young. I think quality of life, safety and cost of living will be paramount. And remote living and working, I believe, will be key to this. And we now know that many of us can work remotely, as you've just said, and we can work from home. And I think many more of us will want to do that in the future. And we've, you know, we've talked about jobs, but you know, we should also think about education. We had a Ludgate board meeting last Monday, and the majority of the meet- meeting was taken up with reimagining uh, or reimagining uh, the Ludgate community post uh, COVID nineteen. Yeah, just remind people what the Ludgate um, uh, experiment is, or it's more than an experiment. It's a it's an achievement. It's a digital hub, as we say in Skibbereen. Yes, it's, Skibbereen became Ireland's first gigabit town in two thousand and sixteen, and the hub is a building where uh, we can accommodate seventy five people. Uh, it's for startup businesses. It's for remote working. It's for people who want to extend their holiday season. It's for second offices. And we have just acquired a second building, um, which is the old Mercy Convent School in Skibbereen, which we'll be converting into another digital campus. And one of the, uh, one of the features that we would like to see that is, uh, in that is third-level education. And if I was in your program on the 1st of March and I said to you that in the last three weeks of this semester, all courses would be delivered online and that all third level examinations would be conducted online this year. I think I don't think your listeners would have taken this seriously. And I think the reaction from within the education system would be have been impossible, could not be done, and indeed will not be done. And yet within a matter of hours, all of those excuses and reasons you know, were washed away. And I believe education in the future can be delivered differently, particularly at third level. Forty percent forty percent of students uh, attending third level come from rural Ireland at an average cost to their families of about 18,000 a year and half of that could be saved if some of the education was delivered either online or remotely. Yeah, but that then raises another question, Sean, about the whole university or college experience. I mean, people like being together and it adds to the creativity, uh, you know, the student life does and, and they wouldn't necessarily want to be uh, living at home and studying remotely, would they? Well, Again, Sean, you can look at that differently. You don't have to be on campus for all three semesters. You could be on campus for one of those semesters. 
Uh, you could ro- rotate student accommodation and take pressure off accommodation in the larger cities. Um, where practical work is required, again, that can be rotated, you know, if it's done differently. Yeah, so... so I, I, it, it just needs to be reimagined and re-engineered. Yeah. Uh, Sean, you know. I don't know if you're talking to me from uh, the Ludgate Digital Hub, but unfortunately your line is a little bit uh, dodgy. Uh, so, look, thank you for joining us. To come back to yourself, Maeve McElwee, um, is there any word, anecdotal or otherwise, as to people's productivity levels when they're working from home? I mean, I've had it uh, suggested to me by some uh, people observing this that uh, it's easier to measure people's output when they're working remotely. I think um, you know, that there's certainly no difficulty necessarily in measuring productivity when people work remotely. One of the biggest challenges, of course, is that um, it has taken people a little bit of time to get um, accustomed to having teams that work remotely. Um, and for that, it's really important that the managers who are managing these teams are themselves trained in understanding how you measure outputs as opposed to how you measure uh, somebody's work when you're engaging with them on a, an ongoing basis day to day in an office environment. It's a little more difficult, I suppose, Sean, just at the moment because lots of people, as we've already said, aren't necessarily working in the in ideal remote working circumstances. And many people have caring responsibilities and many people have school children who are at home at the moment. So it's probably not a great reflection, although we do know that there is some fantastic work being done and that people have really pulled together in terms of managing um, the the work that needs to be done to keep organisations and businesses running um, in these very difficult times. But it can certainly be done and there's no reason why productivity should necessarily be impacted when remote working is well managed and well organised and well structured and certainly it gives companies lots of opportunity to be able to access talent and particularly talent maybe these days where you've got lots of dual career couples and you're trying to maybe attract people in in different areas. You have one person working in a city, you want to try and attract somebody else into a more rural business location. Um, The ability to be able to remote work on the part of one or other is a huge advantage. Um, And then, as I say, to be able to increase labour market participation rates for people who are challenged in terms of... Sure. Uh, Come back to yourself, Orla Hegarty. I suppose people are wondering as well, what about all these high-end offices built by many of the tech companies here? Were they necessary? Well, I suppose the questions will be asked now. I mean, you know, some of the tech companies are using Dublin as their European base. It's it's the kind of stepping stone between America and Europe. And it's English speaking, which means there's a shared language for a lot of the other Europeans who are here. I'm sure a lot of those are now working remotely or maybe have gone gone back to their home countries, um, which, which starts to, you know, develop all sorts of other questions. I mean, we're talking here about people who work in offices. Maybe the bigger question for coming out of this is where will our key workers live? The people who have kept the city going are the people who are cleaning the hospitals and working in the supermarkets and driving the vans and, and collecting the bins. And they've been priced out of Dublin uh, through the needs of the office market. Um, now, if we want to look forward into having a more resilient city and supporting that, these key workers need to be able to live in Dublin and their families need to be able to live in Dublin uh, because it's all and very well. And the other well. big cities as well. Uh, and the other cities too. It's all very well for people who have office-based jobs, who have that flexibility and, and you know, employers and and the housing market can respond to that. Uh, but as, as, a, as a society, we have to look at the fact that these people have been squeezed out. Do you think uh, that there's going to be a switch motivated by maybe, a, I won't say a collapse, but a reduction in the uh, interest uh, and the need for office space? Might construction industry effort be redirected towards home building in a way that we haven't seen? 
Well, I think a lot of our home building is very reliant on a speculative market and clearly uh, the demands in the market now are significantly changed. A million people are uh, on social welfare at the moment and already the market was saturated at the expense of housing. Um, I think what we, the government need to do is to switch any capital spending out of the low and low labour intensity work like motorway building and the Shannon pipeline um, where it won't employ a lot of people and switch it into very high intensity construction uh, like energy retrofit, like uh, building cycle lanes, like repairing streets, uh, remedying apartment defects and all of that because we don't have the safety valve of emigration now for these construction workers. There won't be the demand for offices, there won't be a demand for hotels. Um, The housing market was pitched at a very high level that there may not be demand for and we will need to find work for these people um, in, in a very short space of time. Very interesting. Look, my thanks to all three of you. Orly Hegarty, Assistant Professor of Architecture and Planning and, and Environmental Studies at UCD, Maeve McElwee, Director of Employer Relations at IBEC, and Sean O'Driscoll, former Chief uh, Executive and Chair of Glen Dimplex. I see very interesting piece on the business page of the Irish Times. It's a uh, an article written by Pelita Clark uh, from the Financial Times in London and she says the heading is don't become a Zoom bore in an age of video conferencing uh, and among the um, pieces of advice she says do not be a Zoom bore don't be going on forever don't interrupt constantly uh, don't be a broadcast snob if you have an ultra fast top shelf internet connection she also says uh, don't be a braggart or a background, background braggart if you have a lovely designer home and a view over a lake well done but if you work with people who don't keep your background neutral underwear does not equal anywhere Uh, keep the camera on ignore the occasional child or cat and so forth Um, we'll have more after this break Listen to Today with Sean O'Rourke with the RTE Radio Player. Among our texts, Sean, I am a male victim of abuse. Can you please remind your listeners? Uh, it's not always women who suffer. My life is a living hell. Uh, hope you do a programme on this in the future. Another one, working from home is horrible and I really dread hearing you and employers talking about a switch. I don't want to work from home. That last bit in capital letters. Um, Sean, I worked from home for nine years. It's not for everyone, but I find it's a much better work-life environment. The only thing you miss is the connection with other people, says Ken. Um, As a lecturer, then says another listener, uh, I can say this move to remote teaching has come at a huge cost to its all. It's not a model for the future. Nothing replaces the physical aspect of the classrooms. What we are doing in an emergency measure and in... uh, it's not compensating students for what they are missing. Stress on everybody is enormous. Um, lots more like that. Uh, mixing work life with family life at the same time is unhealthy. Now, here's a really worrying or concerning text we got. My wife nurses in a large hospital in the southeast. She just texted saying staff are disgusted as over the weekend many people presented to A&E with drink-related issues due to many house parties. Now, 